welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Hello, listeners, and thanks for joining us again on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants living in the United States and around the globe. Today, we have another story to add to our immigrant human library, that of Karen Mendoza from the Philippines. Welcome, Karen. Thank you for inviting me to have this conversation with you about the immigrant experience because I'm, you know, quite proud of of my personal story, of my personal journey, and uh, encourage encourage uh, more of like learning about other cultures and go- visiting other other countries or even cities, you know, again, like, like you mentioned, the U.S., USA is, is one of the most diverse, um, you know, countries of the world. And I think even just going from California to the Midwest, Iowa or Kansas or something, you you already start to see and appreciate the richness of the, the differences and, you know, just even within the same country you know, let alone a a different country. So. Yes. So lovely to have you on the show. If you can tell us, Karen, a bit about your heritage, um, what brings you to the United States and uh, a bit about your biography as much as you'd like to share with us. I was born uh, in the Philippines, which is located in Southeast Asia. Um, And uh, my family and I migrated to the San Francisco, California area in the early 1980s. Um, And what brought my family to America was uh, the the, the American dream. But it was more than that, actually, Simone. I should just say, yes, there was uh, certainly the allure and the inspiration of of a better life, a better education, a better better opportunities in America. We certainly saw that um, with many of your immigrant experience guests. But for the, the other the other dimension that my family was also going through was my brother, my older brother of three years, had was born with a, uh, a hole in his heart. Uh, uh, it was a heart condition that he was born with. And of course, the the hospital system or the medical community in the Philippines, being that it was a third world uh, sort of developing nation, did not have the proper, um, you know, equipment and expertise to help my brother. Then he was nine years old, I was six years old, and it was the reason, one of the primary reasons for my family moving or migrating to the U.S. was to help my brother get the surgery he needed for his heart. And we were fortunate enough to get um, him the, the medical help he needed, and it was at Stanford University or the Stanford um, Hospital System, which is one of the best um you know, hospitals in the world. So um, my brother is alive and well and, and all of that. But but because of, again, the American dream, uh, but also this this additional need for finding the right medical care for my 
brother's um, heart condition, uh, we found California and specifically the San Francisco Bay Area to be uh, the, the, the ideal place to settle. So, um, so that was really the purpose or the, 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 the reasons what drove us to migrate out of, um, to immigrate from the Philippines to San Francisco. And I think, you know, and, and we've been here ever since. So um, my immigrant journey is one that in the early 80s, mid 80s, all the way through, certainly times in America have, have evolved and changed um, since then. But I certainly have very fond memories coming to America as a six-year-old girl where I did not know any English. I did not speak the language. I spoke my native language of Tagalog, which is the Filipino national language. And I, I spoke no English until I got to elementary school. I started, I have all American public school um, experience um, in my background and was uh, helped by, cert by, by certain classes where um, in my elementary or primary schooling, I was taken out of regular classes to attend sort of this immersion, language immersion class. Back then they called it ESL, which is English as a second language. And there was a group of us from different countries, mostly a lot of the my fellow classmates in this immersion, language immersion class was um, spoke Spanish or they came from Mexico or other parts of the world. Um, but uh, but I, I certainly remember that experience fondly uh, because I and I didn't understand it, Simone, at the time, what, why I was being taken out of, you know, regular class and put into the media center to learn another class. But but now now I'm grateful for that kind of program uh, because um, it helped me assimilate to and, and learn the language, but also assimilate to the culture and to the other kids. As you know, at that age, being six years old through eight years old, a lot, a lot of things to learn and a lot of things to navigate in our tiny little, uh, well, big world, but tiny uh, developing brains and minds uh, to help me uh, kind of adjust to the new culture we were living in. So that's sort of uh, the, the journey from uh, where we came, the Philippines, and then the 80s, 1982, to be exact, is where we settled in the San Francisco Bay Area. Wow. So it was a health need then for your brother, and I'm happy to hear that he's well today. My brother is uh, doing doing very well. And um, and yeah, we're, we're, we've settled in nicely, of course, uh, to uh, in this area, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I have had the fortune of um, be, of excelling in sort of my career in America. And, and really, I, I do feel that um, I have realized the American dream uh, or the Amer I've benefited from some of these opportunities that have opened up to me and my family living in America. Um, I, you know, from my career experience to my educational experience, I, I could not even imagine um, just all of the the blessings I've we've gotten just by being here. So 
Awesome. Awesome. Yes. And I, I think many immigrants can relate exactly to that sentiment of the world of opportunities and exposure that we have had since we've left our birth countries and, and now living in this adopted land that we call home. And so that's awesome. So I wonder then on the professional side, Karen, like where are you today in your professional life? And, and if you'd like to share a bit about that view of of my educational career and then headed into my professional career. So as I mentioned, my whole upbringing was through the American public school system, which I'm very proud of because obvious, not obviously, but in my family, we couldn't afford private, uh, private schooling. So, uh, the, the, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to go through, um, um, High, elementary, middle school, and high school public in public schools. And then after that, I even went to UCLA, which is a, a University of California in Los Angeles, a great uh, school, a big school, a, a public school in the, in the California area. And there I graduated um, in the late 90s, 1999, with a Bachelor of Arts in Economics. Um, I actually started, Simone, as a, I declared myself coming in as a freshman um, as a biomed major. So I was going into biology. I I got straight A's in um, middle school and high school for all the science classes. And in my mind, I was so um, adamant or, or determined to get into the health and sciences field. And, and part of that is, is a little bit of the parental pressures and family pressures of uh, in my household or upbringing, it was either you become a doctor, an engineer, or a lawyer. Those were sort of the three three career options. And for me, I was excelling in science classes during high school. And so I was so confident going in as a bio major and got into UCLA a great, they have a great medical program. But honestly, Simone, I um I failed. I failed. I, I'm, I'm okay to share this now, but I failed some of my um, organic chemistry courses at UCLA. I was not top of the class in some of the science classes at UCLA, and it was kind of a, a determining uh, kind of a moment of truth for me. You know, can I really cut it um, in in the medical uh, field um, amongst all of these great superstars and super students who also want to become doctors or in the health field. And so as, as tip, as, as a typical sort of college student trying to find my way, I found myself really excelling in um, business classes at UCLA and, and econ, economics classes. Uh, it just made sense to me, this whole notion of supply and demand and and um, and macroeconomics, microeconomics. So I, I, I switched majors at UCLA from medic, from bio, biology to economics. Um, fast forward to my first job out of college was to work at 20th Century Fox, 20th Century Fox um, filmed entertainment. They're in Los Angeles, California was the big studio lot. And um, I got to be a, a PR, a, a public relations assistant 
for a couple of years for their video game department. Back then they were, um, they had sort of a startup or an incubator division uh, for video game uh, development. And uh, I was their PR assistant for that division. Um, I loved, I loved that experience. Uh, it was really taking all of the brands and the franchises that a powerhouse theatrical studio like 20th Century Fox, um, w blending it with this startup culture of uh, video game development um, for Fox Interactive and Fox Sports Interactive. So we were, uh, it was definitely felt like it definitely felt entrepreneurial and, and, and uh, had that startup culture. Um, in the early 2000s, though, 20, 20th Century Fox, the parent company of our video game division, decided it was more profitable to uh, to just really license out the franchises. I got to work on games like Simpsons Wrestling, um, based on the Simpsons uh, characters. I also got to work on Die Hard Trilogy, again, based on the Bruce Willis um, movie, um, Die Hard and we came out with a PlayStation game for it. Um, X-Files, a uh, detective game back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I got to work on that, those games. So they had these really strong properties that we developed into video games. But in the early 2000s, they were just saying, gosh, we don't have enough um, expertise and resources to develop these games on our own. So let's just work with... Um, you know, well-developed uh, game developers to, to put out these content. So 2001, Simone, I found myself laid off from a job that I really, really enjoyed. I knew I wanted to stay in video games, um, but I, I, you know, it, it's kind of a humbling experience to um, the, the layoff because it's, it, you know, it was more of a corporate decision rather than a personnel um, performance one. And so in 2001, I moved to Seattle to work at Nintendo of America. And I got to work at Nintendo for 15 years, uh, five years out of the Redmond, Washington campus, their headquarter campus of Nintendo of America, and then an additional 10 years when they opened up a sales and marketing office here in the Bay Area. And my, my 15 year uh, career at Nintendo absolutely gave me the foundation for how global brands and global companies like a company like Nintendo, how they truly um, kind of drive the business forward while maintaining a great sort of corporate culture to be a global um, dominant brand leader in, in the video game world. So it was very, very formative, transformational for me, the 15 year career at Nintendo. I still, um, I'm still a big Nintendo fan. I will buy every product that they have in the market and I still follow, um, follow their, their uh, corporate direction um, just because I'm always so curious about where they're taking the company next. Um, 
So 15 years at Nintendo. And then during the pandemic, I did work for one of Nintendo's uh, partner clients, which is called Game Truck. Game Truck is a kind of a video game events company on wheels. So it's on, it's on a trailer um, and, uh, or truck and trailer. And that was uh, quite an, a, a great experience, a challenging experience during pandemic times, but happy and proud to say that we survived and, and, and thrived during, during the pandemic times. And then now today, today, Simone, I am now the VP of global sales for a technology company called D-Box Technologies. They are based in Montreal, but I work remotely from San, my San Francisco home. And D-Box is, is everything that I've known from all of my career journey, from uh, gaming, from movies, um, from now sim racing. We have a sim racing segment, and they're doing everything that is all about immersive and haptics, which I know is sort of tech jargon, but haptics and the, the sense of touch and the sense of um, different multi-senses. Um, and uh, I'm having a great time. So I've been with D-Box now for about a year. So sorry for the long journey, long rants, but uh, I think it nice. It builds up to my ultimate sort of thought or, or purpose, uh, which I think in this part of my life is all about entertainment technology has been um, what I've built my career on. And it's what I really, really am passionate about. And um and um, I'm glad to be where I am today. Wow, you work for Nintendo, some studios there in LA. Um, it's quite a, quite a very nice set of jobs there. I feel like it's a blessing. Um, I've, I've been really fortunate to have nurtured a career like I have. And I think, I think, you know, in this space, I think about the influence I have with um, sort of women and minorities, the influence I have here in that technology, technology fields, technology companies, we still need more women and minorities leading uh, in leadership positions in this field. I mean, I saw it, you know, a decade ago when I was in video games at working at Nintendo, where I did see game developers and, and leaders within the gaming uh, video game industry, it's, it's dominated by men or, or to be more specific, white Caucasian men. And now I, I'm gl so glad to see it is changing. It is starting to balance out. And I, I think sort of in, in the back half, in the back half of my life, I really am, am driven by helping to influence even more women and minorities and diverse perspectives in some of these entertainment and technology innovations that we have in the world. Um, so, so that is sort of my next sort of big chapter that I'm trying to fulfill in my life is how do, how do I make an impact and how do I influence more women, girls, and minorities in this space?
So I'm thinking about when you mentioned haptics earlier and now your your role with D-Box and I'm think I'm wondering is this related to like artificial intelligence kind of virtual reality world is that where we're headed that we work on at D-Box Technologies is really um, leading edge. We are the market leader in haptics technologies. So we actually, Simone, have um, 20,000 motion activated cinema seats around the world, um, usually with um, Cinemark, Cinemark or Century Theaters across the U.S. Um, in, in Canada, we are partnered with Cineplex. So we already have this experience for the general public. But um, now that everybody is talking about AI uh, and the metaverse or the multiverse or however many verses there are other than our own, uh, than, than the current one, those are the, those are the kind of future innovations we want to be ready for. Um, and so we, we work with a lot of Canadian universities to research some of these leading edge technologies and leading edge initiatives to get us ready for a world where it looks very much like a blend of realistic, like reality blended by um, virtual, right? And, and I think a pandemic times really accelerated people's adoption of uh, the, the virtual world. I, hence, um, everybody knows how to use Zoom now. Everybody knows how to do virtual meetings. And that's one step in, in I think, helping us get to a world where uh, it's a blend of both in-person and um, virtual worlds. Yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> what a change yes. from biomed to econ yeah. and now in the gaming industry oh my goodness that's amazing and right? it can only I, I happen so. in yeah. the united states yes. of america true true yeah but, Quote, but what i what i think um <laughs> you know while all of those uh changes in my in my journey you know going from wanting to be in the medical field, then going into the business, more business economics field, then, then now I'm into entertainment and the future of entertainment. I think what the underlying thread in all of my personal experiences, as Simone, has been around um, what brings me joy. I'm going to use, I'm going to steal something from Marie Kondo and her decluttering um, book, but, but it's, it's about really listening to myself and being honest, right? Being honest, because if I had stayed in the medical field or, or really pursued getting a medical degree or, um, you know, in my undergraduate life, I wonder if I would have been fulfilled and, you know, and, and really finding myself thriving in that world. But, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe this back half of my life, I, I will circle back to, you know, medical technologies in the, in the future advances of, of, of innovation and whatnot, which I have a little bit, I mean, high school background on, on that interest. So very, very interesting how life can be a full circle, right? Well, congratulations on such a path of success. And I'm sure I have no doubt that it's taken a lot of effort and hard work and perseverance to get to where you are today. And uh, congratulations. 
I, I appreciate that. And and I want to congratulate you on, on your your podcast and, and these series where you are shining a light on um, you know, these types of immigrant experiences that it it can be done. And and I've I've heard a lot of your guests, past guests, where they they also have these same success stories in their life, you know, and um and it's 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 fun to hear more and more people um thrive in in their immigrant experiences yes absolutely and then for the for the world to know that you know we come we have we learn and we do what we need to do and that the success can be had and we just want to encourage people out there who are still on their journey where whatever part of it that you are if you're a new arrival thinking about coming if you've been here for a while and still trying to find your way you know just keep at it um, nothing lasts forever, and uh, there's a rainbow coming if you just continue to apply yourself to read, seek support and advice. One day you'll be on here telling us your journey. Give us a window into what the Philippine yes. was like for you prior to coming to the U.S. You know, what is it like and how different and culturally and so forth, and how did you take then your life from there and kind of adjust to the American culture, what part of the Filipino culture remains with you today? And- uh, so my my memory, my memory as a young girl living in the Philippines uh, was one that is a, a, a happy and playful, right? I mean, because I was six years old when I left, but I just, I do remember the chaos <laughs> chaos in the city streets there was a lot there continues to be a lot of traffic um there continues to be a lot of people walking in the streets especially kind of in the urban areas and i just remember i, I even simone remember that day that we went to the airport the manila international airport and hopping on the plane <laughs> didn't know where the heck we were going, but I knew that we were kind of going uh, far because uh, my parents kept saying, okay, just sleep on the plane. When you wake up, we'll be where we need to be. Um, but I just remember my country, the Philippines, being very chaotic in the early 80s. Uh, there was, and, and now that I look back on it, there was definitely some political, um, you know, uh, changes. Uh, it was under the former President Marcos who declared martial law. And then there was sort of this uprising of the next president, Corizon Aquino. But, but even that transition of power change back in the early 80s of the Philippines, there certainly was a lot of um, just chaos. So, so I, I kind of can validate or verify that that's what I thought about as a young girl. But when I got to America, my very first memory of landing in America at at my aunt's house. Uh, my aunt brought us into her home. She was living alone in a four bedroom house by herself, and she welcomed us in with with open arms. She gave me a Toblerone <laughs> chocolate um, bar and a Mickey Mouse watch. Uh, so those were the two things that I owned. That was all American. I thought. I mean, Toblerone chocolate bar and and Mickey Mouse watch, and I cherished it with my life. I mean, I ate the Toblerone chocolate bar, um, but uh, and also wore the Mickey Mouse watch. 
Um, but again, it wasn't until elementary school that I got to really learn the language because in our household, in my aunt's house, my, my mom and dad at the time were also kind of struggling to learn the language. Of course, they didn't, I mean, they, uh, but, and so we spoke Tagalog in our household, but at school, we were more and more, uh, in a way, encouraged to speak English. And then my other auntie who was living already in the US, she really encouraged and and um, encouraged my dad and my mom to, to, in a way, start speaking to us in English in our house so that we can practice it because you know, my, my aunt who is living in the, in America was saying, you know, we have to really fit in. We have to get rid of our accent. We have to, you know, we can still eat and, and, and honor and celebrate our Filipino heritage at home. But once we leave the home and we're amongst uh, the public, the general public in America, we have to really find a way to fit in. And, I just remember that transition very, very vividly because there was. Um, I think I think I'm I'm grateful for for that uh, guidance because now people say, "Gosh, Karen, your English sounds really great, and it sounds like you've lived in America all your life and, and all of this stuff." So, so, but that was that was my my accent or lack of accent in my. Tagalog language was because we made a very intentional decision as a family to kind of, you know, really lean in hard on learning English and um, really uh, embracing the American culture as quickly as possible. And, um, and I learned, I learned more, I learned English quickly because uh, of music. MTV, I, I, I grew up in the MTV generation. Um, young people today probably don't know what the MTV generation is about. I grew up listening to <laughs> rap music, pop music, whatever was on the radio. And I would, I, you know, this was before Spotify or Apple Music. And I would just listen to cassette tapes or vinyl um, rewinding and replaying back certain lyrics that I really liked and trying to perfect the accent, the English accent in, in a way to lose my Filipino accent. So music was my driving force on kind of fast tracking myself into the American ways of life. That's awesome, right? I know American music influences a lot of cultures around the world as well. Uh, because of cable TV and, and other means, people are exposed to the type of music. And right. a lot of people, that's the only thing they know of the United States, right? It's the music or a video that they've seen. An entertaining one, you know. Now that I have preteens, you know, my own two kids, I've got a 13-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter. Um, and my husband, he's also Filipino-American. He was born here in the the bay area but he, so but his parents were first generation filipino um filipinos who re, who immigrated to the to the states as well so so my husband and i are both of filipino descent and my kids 
of course, they were born here in America. Um, and of course, they grew up uh, learning English. But we definitely, I, I'm, I'm kind of adamant about them uh, uh, truly knowing their Filipino heritage. It helps that my mom and my in-laws, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, they're, they're still very much, uh, they speak the language, they cook the food, they, they instill in my kids um, the, the, the traditions of, of Filipino culture, whether it's the traditional, how we spend Christmas. It's a very unique way that Filipinos spend Christmas together. Um, and, and all the foods, of course, the delicious part of the heritage, we, 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 um, still kind of, uh, man, not mandate, but we, we make sure that our kids understand you know, the culture and where they come from, so as not to lose this identity of, of their, you know, their background, their nationality. Join us again next time for part two of this episode. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review Subscribe and share with your friends, family, and circle of influence.